1: People can change anything they want to. And that means everything in the world. Show me any country, and there'll be people in it. It's time to take that humanity back into the center of the ring and follow that for a time. You know, think on that. Without
2: people, you're nothing. Without people, you're nothing. Stoke
1: the fire all right we're back again another week another podcast this is episode seven now my lucky number actually this is jesse so i know it's going to be a good show already stoke the fire matt stocks jesse leach um what should we say first of all let's say thank you the response so far has just been truly
0: overwhelming and inspiring and incredible hasn't it it's been so good Yeah. Between the guests and the people on social media and just some of the people we've interviewed and not even interviewed, just had good conversations with, it's been extraordinary. It's been life affirming and yeah, I can't say enough positive about it. It's been a beautiful journey so far. Yeah. So thank you, everybody. Appreciate it.
1: Uh, if you haven't already, please do go and subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts. That way, every week when a new one lands in the Internet bin, you'll be updated. Actually, bin sounds like a negative term, doesn't it? In the, the online files of, uh, of worldwide podcasts. And um, yeah, give us a follow on social media. Uh, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram is where you'll find us at StokeTheFirePod. Without further ado, um, I know you're very excited about this week's guest, Jesse, because this is going to be, for you, as well as an amazing conversation for everybody, a chance for you to reconnect with with a dear old friend. So why don't you tell everybody who this old friend is, and then we'll bring her on to the show.
0: Yeah, so I've known her for a very long time. Um, my earliest memories, early high school, uh, she was always like sort of the big sister, Um Checking on me, you know, randomly and just being a, a kind soul and someone I've seen go through a ton of growth and someone I respect very much. And it's been fun to watch her journey on the internet, uh, you know, Instagram to who she is now. And I know she's got an incredible journey to share with us. And, and it'll just be nice to catch up with my old friend, uh, Marcella Kroll. So Marcella, come on down.
2: Hi. Yes. <laughs> How are you? I'm well, I'm well. How are you?
0: Good settling into your new digs, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. Fresh off the off of a move, a big move, city to city move. So, yeah. Wh-
1: where where have you moved from and to? Oh, by the way, nice to meet you. I should say. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> yeah. We've never met before. We don't know each other from Adam. I'm Matt. It's lovely to meet you, and thank nice you so you. much for coming on the show.
2: Yeah, uh, I just moved from Los Angeles to Long Beach, so not far, but just definitely different environment.
0: Oh, worlds apart! Those two, absolutely. Where whereabouts in Los, Los Angeles were you? What part? I was of
2: in Echo Park. Oh, Echo mm-hmm.
0: Park. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. I've got yeah. friends. In I've got a lot of friends in Echo Park, actually. What, uh, yeah. what? Was there any particular reason for the move, or just needed to change the pace? Or,
2: well, I I had been wanting to move for years, but couldn't find the right way, and then I kind of got forced to move. So, uh, during COVID, my landlord basically. You know, took back the apartment, and I had to find something. So wow, I guess yeah. that was
0: just uh, <laughs> the universe's way of pushing you along. I guess, huh? Wow.
2: Okay. Yeah, it was a big change. You know, I was there from since 2006, and not in the same apartment, but in in L.A.
0: So, yeah, I wanted yeah. to actually want to get to that during our talks because I'm curious about your journey there. But I guess, um, well, I reckon just- we should start by you two. I guess detailing how this friendship (laughs) begins,
1: when and where you first met, Jesse. Why don't you start us off?
0: Who me or her? (laughs) Jesse. Yeah, my my memory's a bit cloudy of those days. I'm sure. (laughs) To pass the buck.
2: I know. I feel like I. I mean, my first memories of you were probably in. Did we start going to school in like junior high? Because I was in. I was in the same grade as your brother.
0: Yes, my infamous uh, brother. Yes.
2: Yes, and. uh, yeah, all the girls lo- loved loved him. Um, uh, but I hung out with all the troublemakers. Oh <laughs> um, well, I thought and were cool. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, so all the skateboarders and like the kind of troublemakers. But that was like junior high. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, a, yeah, Park Park, long, park View. <laughs> park View Junior High School in Cranston, yeah. Rhode Island. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What a so long you, so way. So you literally
1: grew up together, really?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. But then I don't I don't know. Well, we both we both went through our own kind of because you were you were like, were you a year or two young or two younger than younger, me? Yeah. yeah. And then um and then we reconnected kind of when you were well, you were singing with Corinne. hmm Yeah, yeah, I yeah
0: to show, Being out and about in the nightlife. Yeah, that's taught,
2: Yeah. That's, and I worked at Club Babyhead, which was like the punk club. I worked the door there. Yeah, and then I sold the merch. Fat ass. Yeah, I worked. I worked the door. I worked all the hardcore shows because, like, the grumpy, like older punks hated working the younger shows. And then, um, but I would sell merch for you guys sometimes.
0: That's Right. Yes, you did. Yeah, and I remember you working the door, and my the manager of my band, Corinna, was a, a girl named Tina. Oh was, yes. Who was one of the old grumpy punk rockers that uh, I became <laughs> co- close friends with. Yeah. So punk and music and the culture was definitely something that, you know, I, I remember looking at you and admiring you and the crazy people you hung out with, the punks and the skaters and all that scene. And then I kind of became part of that. And then, you know, we were just like, we'd, you know, we had the history, but then as we got older, you know, we'd just see you occasionally here and there and be like, Hey, it was always just like, what's up? How you doing? And, uh, yeah. I, my memories of you were, um, and big big moments that i remember were you overcoming some pretty serious like addictions and stuff i remember you and i were both kind of partiers and i have a very vivid memory of this because again fuzzy um <laughs> but this one moment of you i think you were out in the street screaming and like stepping on a, a vial of cocaine or something it was just this moment of you where you were like i'm done mm. I, I don't remember exactly what it was but I saw a transition in your spirit and I knew you were fighting something. So I've always been curious to mm-hmm. fill in some of those, if you're comfortable, filling in some of those gaps and talking about your journey to going through all that. And then where you are now, it just seems like a lifetime of difference.
2: So many lifetimes. I can't believe, well, wow, I don't remember that at all, but I'm glad you do. <laughs> yeah. I like, it's funny. I, um, you know, I, I went through, Well, I don't know if you remember, like a lot of people would hang out at my house growing up because I lived in kind of like I had very young rock and roll kind of guardians, parentals, like my mom and my adopted dad. Um, They'd let us party at the house and stuff. So people were always there. But um, I had a pretty gnarly drug and alcohol addiction from, I don't know, 13 on until I overdosed at 18. I was. Yeah. And. And for me, I avoided a lot of the rock and roll kind of crowd. And I hung out with I went to a lot of raves and things because I was like, I don't want to be like my like upbringing, you know. But I I also didn't plan on living. I had a really I had a really commit like a a, just a committed mindset to going, well, I'm not going to live past 18. It was just like a thought, you know, past 18, um, that young. Oh, yeah. I had no plans um, actually like, so I had my first near death experience at six months old. I was very sick as like a, a baby. And I don't know. I think I always had one foot in and one foot out. And, um, I partied a lot in the nineties. I did a lot of like rave drugs and party stuff. And I, I was also very, um, I don't want to say reckless, but like daredevil, like I'm like, challenge me, you know? Um and yeah, totally. and uh you know, I'd be like, oh what tell me I can't? Okay, I'm gonna do it. And I'm gonna do it like times 10. And um
1: is that because you had no fear?
2: I had no fear. No, I had no fear and I just didn't it was very it was very um very reckless and impulsive and foolish. But honestly I just was like well I don't I'm gonna go out some way. Um and I realized now as an adult like I was also forcing myself to sleep a lot because I was so hyper sensitive as a kid, uh, emotionally, very emotionally sensitive, but also psychically sensitive. And I, nobody was talking to me about that stuff. I just assumed I was, you know, when you say mental, I assumed I was not well. And, um, which I found out, like I've gotten answers to now about that, but You know, I uh, I basically overdosed at 18 and I went to rehab and I went to treatment and, you know, I battled with that on and off for a long time. And what's interesting is I never saw myself as an alcoholic. I saw myself more as like, oh, I'm a drug drug addict. So then I would begin drinking. Also, where we grew up, it was like everyone drink like it's very like casual, like even I would be like, I'm sober and they're like, it's just a beer. You know, like, it's very like, everyone drinks or does some kind of recreational substance. So, um, you know, and it it also helped me, honestly, it helped me fit in, which I didn't know that that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to be liked, I was trying to be, quote unquote, normal. um, And, you know, but I was super an open channel. Too, too many things energetically, spiritually, psychically, you know. Mm. So it was a battle for a lot, you know. I, I will say, um, I would go on and off using, and then, um, but I've been. I didn't. I still didn't eliminate alcohol until it's been four and a half years now that I've been completely substance free, and um, like completely with everything. And so um, so it
1: has been a long journey. Then,
2: yeah, I'm forty-four years old and. You know, um, I basically would, you know, go from column A to nothing, you know, in column B. And, you know, it was but also I realized like that's a big part of my personality is like all or nothing mm-hmm. um, with a lot of things. You know, be like, oh, I'm going to learn the most about this right now. You know, so, uh, yeah. But honestly, the last I would say. In my sobriety, the last four and a half years um, and the amount of information that has come forward, it really puts all the puzzle pieces together about why I was seeking and fighting so desperately, you know, things that I didn't have answers to that actually have gotten answers to, whether it's about my lineages, you know, family of origin and their own sensitivities and just not having access to learning those things or having anyone to kind of show me the way mentors, which I didn't have.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned that. uh, So is there traces of that in your family? You mentioned your family history. Did your parents have that or the people that raised you, where, where was that line drawn and how did you find that line? That's, that's really interesting that you bring that up and that's curious Uh, and to piggyback on that Mm -hmm. uh, before we get too ahead of ourselves. um, First of all, my my dealings with you there's always been something you and i had a friendship but we were never like you know 100 hanging out all the time but whenever i crossed paths with you there was always an energy there and it's Mm -hmm. funny as you came to grow and and realize your talents and who you are it kind of made sense that there was just some kind of a protective thing around you that i couldn't Mm -hmm. explain at at a young age either but i just remember thinking that you were this cool like punk rock style person but there was something different about you yeah i'm so intrigued to see where your path has taken you but so i guess you said you were suppressing some of those things and you thought you were crazy and you now realize that this, this gift has been with you since the beginning
2: well and that it's hereditary you know um so my yes there's some like my mom is like so both my parents biologically are mixed my mother's italian portuguese north african there's definitely a lot of like Italian, like stregas and like things like that. They don't talk about, like talk about a lot of that. They were very Americanized, you know, and Catholic and suppressed. Well, my, I never knew my biological father and I always knew that things were different with me, but no adult would give me an answer. You know, um, I had no history because even like his name wasn't on my birth certificate, nothing. Um, four years ago I was, uh, matched with him on, and, or it was like, yeah, it was like three years ago on ancestry.com through a genetic test. And what is wild to me is, you know, he's alive and well, he's only 16 years older than me, you know? So he was very young <laughs> and, um, uh, I mean, multiple things. One, he is mixed uh, ethnicity um, as well. He is Wampanoag tribe, Native American. He's Filipino. He's also West African. And um, my grandmother, my paternal grandmother was a tarot reader and a psychic. And she read cards at Woodstock. Apparently, that's how she paid bills and things. And also her mother was a seer. And what I do know about that as well is, um, my great, great grandfather had her committed for the things she saw.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah.
2: yeah. You know, it's wild to me is, you know, well, not only one of the first things he said to me on the phone was he goes, I see, I looked you up on the internet and I see you took that living, that gift of ours and turned it into a living. And it was like, like earth shattering because no one my whole life you know, told me that this was a gift or anything of the sort, or why my connection to certain things made complete sense to me, and why I had these guides and guardians, you know. And that the, the, also when I went to that rehab, by the way, when I was 18 and I overdosed and I felt my spirit being pushed back into my body, <laughs> um, I was on Wampanoag territory which would be my ancestral homelands and where I had healing and where I felt, it felt like someone pushed me back in through my shoulders. They're like, not yet. You're not out of here yet. (laughs) And that's when I found, I got into astrology and tarot was because I couldn't hang out with all the crazy people anymore. I had to find something to do and occupy my time.
1: Is that how it started? Just because it was like, yeah, you're in rehab and you wanted something positive and constructive to distract from the
2: Yeah, well, and more like I was like, why am I like this? I, I've always had this really intense curiosity. And, you know, you you know, in this way, no one would tell me about myself. And it was very self-obsessed. You know, I was like, I why am I like this? You know, and of course I thought I was the only one going through it. And um I think it 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 really came to being at that time that's when the lights I say that's when the lights all came on again after years of trying to keep the lights off
1: when you say um why was I like this as well just for context for everybody listening what was um what were you experiencing as a you know young woman that you couldn't quite explain or put your finger on but you knew that something was different about you
2: Uh, I would feel things, I would hear people's thoughts and feel what they were feeling as though they were my own emotions. I would hear voices, I would see things in my mind's eye, like the way you use your imagination and visualize things, like it was a psychic way of seeing. And it would freak a lot of people out, you know, especially people who had something to hide. I mean, also in the mix of all of this, Uh, In 2019, I was diagnosed as being on the autism spectrum, which I was like, oh, oh, my God. (laughs) I'm like, I I, get like it was like life. I mean, it was life affirming, but also, you know, I there were so many things that I didn't understand why I was the way I was because I'm so vastly different than the people I grew up with like, I look different. I speak differently. I, you know, I'm interested in different things. Like I was always interested in art and music and like, they weren't into that. They thought it was cool, but they never encouraged me, you know?
0: Oh, that's so fascinating. Yeah. That, <sighs> It's interesting, Then this is a big reason why I wanted to have you on just because I think it's important for you to tell your story because uh, this show is very much has turned very much into sort of a, about life affirming and connecting humans and having people tell their story. And it, I've seen it already, just how it helps just to talk and to tell people, you know, your struggles and your your how you've overcome things. So with you. It's very unique because not many people have this particular gift or some people probably do do and don't even realize it. Right. Mm -hmm. And in the society of of throwing people on medication and shunning people and demonizing people for these things, because, you know, I grew up in a Christian household. So to me, you know, this this work was always shunned. Like you said, the Roman Catholicism, you know, religion itself always shunned this type of uh, gift, really. Um, Mm -hmm. So for me, it's always been something fascinating. So when I saw you come out publicly and start to show that you were doing this for work, I was like, that is really interesting. And I want to know more. So when this podcast came about, you were definitely in the back of my mind. I'm like, she needs to share her story. Cause I think you could potentially really help people. And I know you do help people on a regular basis with what you do. Uh, and I'm interested in that as well. Cause I see sometimes you have to pull away from the internet and sort of reset yourself. And I can only imagine how overwhelming it must be to sort of, have this gift to be able to use this gift, but also how distracting and how exhausting it probably is too. When did you decide you were going to start to do it to help people? Like when was that like, Oh (sighs) no, that's something. So now I can sort of turn it into helping Hmm.
2: others. Well, it's funny. I just did like, I kind of just recorded myself talking about how reluctant I was. And I always say like, I'm like the reluctant psychic. Like I honestly never, imagined or thought of this as like going to be like my career and my job. I mean, really, I didn't plan past past 18. I always said I'm going to be an artist because, as you know, like I'm a visual artist. I paint, I draw, I silk silkscreened. I I lived in an artist's compound. You know, I always was creating. Um, this for me was so private also because of kind of like even just notoriously like where we grew up in – You know, Rhode Island, New England, it's a little bit like witch burning country, I call it, you know, and it's like, (laughs) you know, right. I mean, even like people just kind of being like, you know you're such a freak. Like it was super, it was super like kind of more, cl- I felt more closeted. Like I had a double life for a really long time. I had kind of the people I was open with spiritually. And then I had my artists kind of rock and roll friends. And what it really changed was I moved from New York uh, to LA, right, in 2006. And then about a year after living in LA, my whole life went everything went upside down and in a good way my,
1: or a bad way bad way in a
2: in a bad way I mean in a good way I guess in hindsight but like it's kind of when the the, the table got flipped right like basically and I think LA does that I think people come to LA with the dream and then it gives them and um I didn't go there with the dream. That's the thing. People thought like, oh, you go to L. Why are you going to LA? You should go to like SF. And I'm like, I want to go where it's like, even the foliage, like the plant, everything's just different than what I'm familiar with. And for a year it was magic. It was like, I worked at a like fancy showroom, like a retail job, like clothing. And then I just like, I started, I got a car and I just like was partying and it was whatever. I had a couple of art shows and then a year to moving, I got fired from my job, which had never happened to me before. I got fired from my job. And then my roommate situation, her fiance, she had a fiance all of a sudden, and he was moving in. And I was like, I can't stay here. And, um, it sent me into this, like, whole like breakdown of all of this false like kind of life I created you know at that point I had been couch surfing or just like staying in my car I had no job I couldn't get hired I was going into debt and I started I was like well I could do readings for like a sandwich you know it's kind of like what it kick-started off was like me doing readings in exchange for something you know to and survive to survive. Yes. And, and then, so that was like 2008, you know, but then I had like this really pivotal moment in 2009 where I relapsed on drugs. I had a third near death experience and that really, it just changed everything. And that near death experience, um, it's the one I'm the most like talk to talk about because it's, it's the most out there one, I guess, if someone listening is like, I don't believe in any of this stuff. Um, you know, this one, but this is what it changed for me. I was, I was dating, um, you know, in LA I was like, I'm a writer, but like they were a drug dealer, you know? And it was like, I was like dating this writer and, um, and, uh, he was, we had a really great understanding, you know, I was like also seeing now and knowing that I'm autistic. I was like, I, I understand why we got along so well. Cause he left me alone. <laughs> um, but there was this night after partying and he like tried to hold my hand and that wasn't like, he wasn't affectionate. And when I looked over, I saw his face morph into like a demon. And I was like, I knew there was something about like, if I hold this, if I give in, I'm done. And the fight or flight kicked in and I fled. I like grabbed my stuff. He's like, where are you going? I'm like, I I don't know. I got to go. Like, I just, is
1: that you seeing your future with this guy and just seeing like death or bad stuff?
2: I just saw it being like a commitment to like, completely losing my mind and not in a good way. Like he just, he looked demonic and I fled. And then I tried to drive my car um, into a tree on Franklin in Hollywood. I was, I like fled the Hills where he lived. And I tried to drive my car into a tree and something, something protected me. Something bounced my car off of the sidewalk and like back into the street, like a cartoon. It was like, boop, just like went off on its merry way. And I was so pissed because I was like, I can't even take my own. Like, I can't do this right. Like, I can't even do this Failed right. at
1: suicide.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, I can't even. And I called my friend in Echo Park and I was like, I'm losing my mind. Can I please come to your house? I just need to like have a stable inside like i needed an indoor place and she's like yeah i'm gonna go to work but like come on over she went to work and i was just like on her floor screaming at god creator universe whoever the fuck was out there and i was like take why won't you let me die it was just like at this point of like i just want to die i'm it's like I'm so expired because at that point I'm in my early thirties and I'm just like, I'm done. And, um, and I had what you would call kind of a, vi- I had a vision. Uh, I, I did say to myself, I'm like, wow, you are really still high from the drugs because I saw what appeared to me to be this like humanoid, angelic being. And, you know, it was terrifying (laughs) because it was massive and it was, it was over seven feet tall and it like, and I was just on the floor and I was like, yes, finally. Right. And then it wrapped its wings around me and I felt this energy flood from the bottom of my feet and it like ran all the way up my body to the crown of my head. And the top of my head, the crown of my head felt like it was on fire, like open. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm finally, I'm finally out. Like I'm finally going. And I, I, I blacked out and I ended up waking up like hours later on the floor and it was dark out at this point. And I should have felt terrible. I should have felt like hot garbage, you know? Um, physically. I felt the best I had felt in my whole life. It was bizarre. And then that week, I found a place to live. I stopped talking to that guy. I just cut, cut him out completely. And there was a metaphysical bookstore that was opening up in Venice and they were looking for readers. I went, I did a reading and I got hired on the spot. And that's when my work went full-time.
0: Wow, Venice, that's so movie-like. I love that. It's amazing.
2: <laughs> it was intense. I mean, because before that, I had been, like, working. Sometimes, though, I had gotten a job at a cafe. I was barista-ing in the morning, and then I would do readings kind of willy-nilly at night or in clubs. Like, I wasn't full-time or anything. It was just, like, you know, it would add up. Oh, I also had a job with the library at one point. And then I started, they asked me to teach Tarot for Teens, the LA Public Library. And I was like, nobody wants that. (laughs) You know, the kids all thought I was like doing community service there anyway. They never believed that I worked there. (laughs) Like I'd yell and be like, stop it. You know, you don't do that. They're like, you doing hours? And I'm like, no, you little punk. And also they all thought like I was one of them because I look younger and I'm sure and I look younger than I am, you know, with them at the time, especially. And they're just like, it's just a, it was such another life, you know, even from that pinpoint, you know, and things kind of turning into like this work. And again, I still wasn't convinced that this was my work. I was yeah, like,
0: that was, was going to be my question. Even after that experience, you were still reluctant, correct? I mean,
2: I was reluctant until about 20, I would say until, 2014 you know so from 2009 to 2014 and when what changed it for me was because i had always seen it as i had to choose art or like this work you know and and i 2013 i made my first oracle deck and you know that is what changed it when i was able to bridge and bring together my art and like this work and then then i was like Okay, this is my work. Like that to me felt like purpose. Like the fact that I could make tools that didn't rely on me solely. Because that's my thing too. Is like, I don't want people to see me all the time. That's why I say I'm reluctant. I'm like- I want you to do your work so you're empowered enough to know your own gifts you know so I'm not I'm not a reader that's like oh yes see me every six months see me every three no like actually I'm happy to have repeat clients but like I also have really strong boundaries about how much I'm going to help you
1: (laughs) would you mind breaking down some of the different ways in which you can do spiritual readings for people who might not I mean is there a variety that you
2: practice mm. or is it
1: just one what does it entail
2: well when so there's a few ways that I work I mean when I'm doing individual sessions I use I'm I have multiple clairs which is like I've I'm clairvoyant which is I see clairaudient which is I hear clairsentient cognizant, which is all like knowing and feeling right And I use all of my senses. I also am a medium. So sometimes dead people come through or guides that talk. Um, And I use cards. So I use tarot and oracle um, cards as well as like a tool. I half the time though, I'll be like throwing cards and I'm not really looking at them. I'm just channeling the messages. So I work in that way on an individual level. And then on, um, like a group level, I teach classes. So, and I teach classes on a variety of things. I do past life healing work where I do like lead meditations or through hypnosis. Like we work together in that particular way. Um, yeah. And I just, I do a bunch of different types of empowerment, like spiritual fitness classes, I call them.
1: I think that the big interesting point for me um, is the relationship between spirituality and the, the connection to that world and mental health and how you can apply, you know, those tools to improve your state of mind and your well-being and your quality of life. Is that a big part of what you do as well is like helping people find inner happiness through these means?
2: Well, it's like, it's also like just remembering that you are like a source of empowerment, you know, I think there's so many layers that we have to break through and break down to remember that we, you know, I, I think that there is um, one of the things that I'm good at is helping people get out of their own way, or at least see what things are blocking or hindering them and what their gifts are to empower them. You know, like what, what's your strong suit? Like, what are you really good at? You know, let's look at that. Or maybe what are you doing consciously or unconsciously that is impacting or impeding your progress? And a lot of times that can be very layered. It can be, um, I deal a lot with like the ancestral realm, which means like your lineages, you know, people holding on to beliefs and systems. We have our physical DNA, but like we have belief DNA that we also carry and things on a cellular level you know, whether it's like traumas and things that, um, our ancestors have gone through and how that can impact you. And also past life impact, you know, you know, a lot of clients say have, uh, I've done all this work in the conscious life. I've been seeing a therapist, but I can't get past this. And a lot of times my ability is to find, the missing pieces or find the trail, like the thread, you know, maybe it's like, Oh, well, you, you have a past life vow that you took that did this, you know? So it might not make sense in our like 3d world, like in our current life, but like, I, I like to have the zoom out effect yeah, yeah. and um, you know, and I think I like to magnify or just reflect back to you, what you probably already know, But maybe you don't know how to articulate it or even ask the right question. Asking the right question is key a lot of the times. And most people also don't know how to ask for what they want. They ask around it. And I think that is a huge thing with this kind of work. I want to demystify. Yes, it's magical. Yes, it's powerful. But like, how do you connect to it and go, oh, like there's the direct line. I had no idea I could do that. A lot of people think that touching the invisible is only privy to a select few, and I don't believe that. I think we all have access to it, but we all have different stumbling blocks to get to it.
0: Yeah, and I think society as a whole has really sort of hindered us um, as far as our spiritual walk and our, you know, the more I look into the pineal gland and to. You know you're talking about past lives and i've just been fascinated by you know ancient cultures and it's been a journey for me too to sort of deprogram myself from how i was raised and to see the the deeper spiritual walk that i'm on now Uh, and i'm super fascinated by the spirit world for sure but there's also a part of me that has seen the dark side of it so i'm actually curious to to see have you encountered situations uh doing this because i know when you're tapping into this this is powerful stuff Mm -hmm. Uh, have you Seen or felt things that have really shaken you, and have you dealt with people who you could sort of see the darkness there? Because I'm Mm -hmm. assuming, being as sensitive as you are, it's got to be absolutely exhausting, and you put yourself in a vulnerable position. Mm -hmm. So I guess dealing with darkness, dealing with protecting yourself while you're doing this type of work, and Mm -hmm. yeah, I guess just speak on that type of stuff.
2: Yeah, I mean, definitely. I but I feel like I've been seeing darkness since I was little. You know, like growing up in the environment that I grew up in, you know, I remember seeing like there was this thing that would come visit me like nightly when I was 12, you know, and, and, you know, and ha- having really intense experiences in like New Orleans or in different places, you oh, yeah, know? Me too. seeing really yeah. I have like a haunted hotel kit. Well, we haven't traveled in a while, but I have a haunted hotel kit that I travel with now. Like as a rule, <laughs> um, can
1: you tell us what's in that or not?
2: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Um, so the haunted hotel kit, I'll have like you know like a small like like a little jar of like some kind of spray or a Florida water. I'll have like four tumbled uh black tourmaline uh stones so I grid whatever hotel room I'm staying in and, and I usually bring like a little tea light and an offering. And I what I do is before I like when I check in I go in my room I, I set that stuff out and then I I'm happy to help. <laughs> I'm happy to like, cause that's the other thing I call it. My pro bono work is like, I release spirits that are landlocked. And, um, I said, I'm happy to help, but like, you gotta let me sleep. That's the rule. Right? <laughs> that's the trade. So, yeah. yeah. And it's amazing. Cause usually I get like really, like I get gifts and things sometimes, which is really sweet, like unexpected, you know, like be like, Oh, we had an extra little piece of cake, you know? And I always think it's like the spirits kind of communicating like, Hey, thanks. Uh, that kind of thing, because otherwise I'm up all night. I'm up all night. Yeah, I
0: can imagine having that channel open. Like, yeah, are you able to cl- close it? I mean, you found ways to do that type of thing, but yeah, yeah guess-
2: boundaries. And I mean, uh, you know, it's like having, like, you know, on Halloween, the porch light is on, the kids are going to keep coming, right? And you shut the light off and you say, no candy. You know, I have to kind of do that with my energy and be like, you know, like, hey, is this important or are you just passing through? You know, I have to set those boundaries. Um, and you know, like I said, yeah, there, there have been times where I've seen darker things or I've seen people have attachments and things like that on them, but you also have to go, okay, like what are they doing? I see that a lot, like in the recovery community, you know, people have things on them and, you know, you can I'm like, Hmm, okay. You know, um, it's a, it's a, uh, it's not my job to, there are people that do healing work that clear those kind of things for people. My suggestion to people would be like, I would give you the tools. Like, do you want to let this go? You know, mm. do you want to clear this? How are you feeling? You know, is this thing, a, um, feeding off of your life or, you know, there's so many different things that we come into contact with now. Sorry, there's a little noise. It's my pet. Um, noise. oh okay she's like that the lizard yeah she's trying to get out she like she wants out she can wait um (laughs) that's uh, do
1: you think there's do you think there's much relationship between addiction and possession and and oh
2: yes oh my gosh yes i mean when you are uh in your addiction or your orc field is open you are you're you're basically a free ride you know, one of the things that I used to do, and this is really interesting. And, and I would see it all the time is like, if you were in a bar towards the end of the night or a club, and even if it was the same amount of people all night, it would suddenly feel full, you know? Mm-hmm. And what that is, is it's these spirits that are wandering around that are looking for, you know, to, to have some fun. And I would have I, you hear of people like blacking out and, you know, and be like, oh, my gosh, you didn't even sound like yourself. You were doing all these crazy things. And what it is, is is they would be they'd be um, well, in some communities, they call it mounted. You'd be mounted or you would be possessed. Right. Yeah. And um, I would let that happen to me all the time. But most that's the thing is, I didn't know that that's what possession was. I would just be like, I blacked out. I don't remember. Now, where I learned the difference was actually in New Orleans. um, It was right before Katrina. I was down there and I had an art show. And I was definitely doing a lot of like i was tripping on acid and i was drinking it was like part of me being there was like i didn't want to hear all the stuff like the, the the feelings and the sounds is is and, new
1: Orleans a hot spot for that kind of energy does it seem oh
2: like- oh yeah yeah There is definitely, I mean, most of this country, yes. But like New Orleans is definitely a very activated place.
0: Yeah, I've gotten sick to my stomach there before. And I've had amazing fun nights too. But Yeah, there's weird shit in New Orleans.
2: Yeah, there's definitely like places that I'll walk up and I'm like, nope. I'm not going in there. Um, But that was what was interesting to me was I had that particular experience was, I was, there was two things that happened. One, I, I had gone to sleep and I used to like kind of drink myself to sleep and I would draw till I fell asleep. And I remember falling asleep and someone clicked the light off, but I was so, so drunk. I just passed out, but I woke up and remembered like that. I didn't shut the light up And I was like, ah, like, <laughs> I woke up kind of in it. And then, um, I think it was like the next day, I woke up, I woke up in the morning and I went down. It was like a bed and breakfast in the ninth ward, the Maison guest house. And I started cleaning like something. This is where I knew it was different. Something took over my body, but I was awake. Like, but I was like, it was like being in the backseat of a car while someone else was driving. And I was witnessing myself like cleaning and doing all this stuff. And in my head, I kept hearing, they just don't keep this place clean enough. And then a cat came in the room and it startled me. And I like, "Hmm." and all of a sudden I was like, what am I doing? What am I doing? That night they had a medium come in because the original owner of the property had passed away in the house. So they were trying to get in touch with them. And the medium looks at me and she's like, she looks at me and says, there's a house servant here. And she said, this place is not clean enough. And I nearly like,
0: oh man,
2: and I was like, uh, and she's like, you're a medium. And I was like, what are you talking about? You know? So, I mean, I think when you are in active addiction and using, you do become more susceptible to being open to letting other things in. Now, if you're constantly using, then your auric field gets very, like, f- you know, thin, paper thin, and it's really easy for things to get attached to you. Um, I, I think I've gotten really good at protecting myself. I'm still susceptible to things sometimes if I'm not, you know, doing my spiritual hygiene and things like that, but, you know, I'm a lot better at it. And also I'm better at listening to when I feel something doesn't feel right. I'm not like walking into it you
0: know? Yeah. We've been hearing a, a lot about, you know, addiction on, on these shows. We've had some really interesting talks with people who've come back from death and in one case, multiple times, but, uh, you're talking about the, you know, being an open vessel and we've talked about how spirits, they, that's what they call alcohol spirits. And I've actually mm-hmm. seen, cause I've been around alcoholics my whole life. I was attached to one for many, many years. Uh, and you, I could see a physical change. It's Mm -hmm. like when you get to a certain point with, you know, alcohol and then probably drugs too, they look different. And then the things that they do are quote unquote out of character. And it makes so much sense that, you know, something could potentially be taking over. And Mm -hmm. I've had moments with my drinking where people will tell me stuff that I did. I'm like, there's no way in hell I did or said any of those things. I don't have any recollection Mm -hmm. and people telling me, yeah, you didn't even seem like you were yourself. Right, that shit's crazy, and it happens a lot, and people don't realize that that's happening. Right. You just or they hear up.
2: things; they're no. open and they're like, you know, they're inebriated, and they hear things. Like they hear you say something, but it wasn't you. and It's because there's something like talking in their ear, yeah. you know? Yeah, I've
0: experienced um, all that stuff for sure. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. interesting. It's scary too, man.
2: Yeah, well, and I think with mental health too, like you know, I have a brother who's a year younger than me, and we're half half siblings, and. Um, you know, he's schizophrenic and honestly, I think he's very intuitive, but his dial just got, it's like the dial got turned all the way up and it broke off, you know, and, and there's no, um, support systems in our society that really kind of revere that, you know, or cater or nurture that, you know, they just kind of get put on medication or, you know, and not really, um, talk to about what is happening for them.
0: Well, it's cause we live in a puritanical society here for sure, you know. yeah, I can att- attest to that with some of the stuff I was raised with to think. And that's mm-hmm. why I've always found such fascination with this type of stuff. Cause I have something too. I can meet somebody and see their energy, feel it. And I get a sense of like, this person's not good or they are. I think, like you said, I think everybody has that. Mm-hmm. I just think, you know, I wouldn't say harness, but recognize the fact that I do have that and to go with my, my mm-hmm. gut or my vibe or whatever you want to call it. And it served me really well uh, the past mm-hmm. couple of years, especially, but just, you know, traveling, touring the world, going into a room, getting a feeling I can't describe and knowing, like almost hearing a voice, not audibly, but just like go. And I know I've protected myself from potential dangerous situations because I listen to that inner voice, that gut mm-hmm. feeling. And uh, oh, that's something yeah. like I've always been fascinated by.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's like um, I know I I often tell people like, you know, you have those moments where something else kind of um, people like, how did you know to leave or how did you know to do this? And I'm like, I went into autopilot Mm -hmm. and I like just followed the flow of it, you know, whether it was a feeling or wake up and, you know, I don't know, like even with, um, you know, I was just talking about this recently with 9-11 I, I was in New York working that weekend. I ha, was working for a designer and I worked at Bryant park fashion week. And, um, I was supposed to stay for a couple more days. Now Bryant park was right, you know, down there. And, um, I woke up for no reason full. Now when I wake up, I am groggy. I am like, I am like, I need like two hours before I'm functioning. And, I was wide awake and alert and not groggy at all. And I just was like, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna get on a Greyhound and go back to Rhode Island. Like got my things, not a big deal. And then got on the, the first and last bus out. Wow. And then we found out like at a stop in Connecticut, what happened. So I'm like, okay, you know, stuff like that, that like, I'm like, okay, I just, I'm just gonna be open to listening. So
1: you mentioned earlier on about giving people the perspective to help them in their life and the tools to realize, like when they're making perhaps bad decisions, I guess that could be applied massively and productively and positively to recovery right from addictions.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Is that something that you've come across as well as people who are getting over that sickness, whether it's alcohol or dope or whatever it is, and and mm-hmm. giving them the tools or perspective to apply
2: yeah. I mean, the right well, mindset
1: to get over it.
2: Yeah, I think so. I think also, or love addictions, you know, like I think we're all just trying to substitute something else, you know? So part of like getting that kind of bird's eye perspective to like psychically is like, where do you feel you're missing, lacking or need more of, you know? And, and that's, I think part of the gifts of being able to see in this particular way. You know, um, and again, it comes back to like sometimes we're holding on to stuff that we just, you know, we don't even know that we've been holding on to for generations, you know, and yeah, and that can really come through in a session, you know. So while the like sometimes, you know, people go all like, oh, they want to love reading, they want to know if they're going to make money. And I'm like, what are you really asking for? Because the things that you're asking are not a solution to what you're looking for, you know, as I say, like, it's hard to get that straight answer from people sometimes. So I have to find it for them.
1: Do you get a lot of people who are like time wasters as well? Like just, (laughs) you know, I want, as you say, I want to find, I want to find love or I want to be rich. You get a lot of people who just want that short term solution to all life's problems with minimum work.
2: Not so much anymore, but that that again is because I don't, I, I first of all, like I book out like two months in advance at least. And I've really like, I, I set up a lot of boundaries, yeah. you know, and I often also, I don't like, if that's what you're coming to me with, I think it's, you're wasting our time. I don't think it's, I don't think all those questions are bad I just think the purpose like if you're looking for something else to fix you like um as a band-aid like that's not the work we're gonna do my one of my friends he made a joke about like my readings are like I'm the friend who's like holding your hair back while you're throwing up but I'm not gonna rub your back <laughs> and <laughs> there's
1: a line yeah, <laughs> yeah <so> yeah
2: <laughs> I mean, I'm very compassionate but i'm also really impatient um you know, and I've had to let clients go because I felt like we weren't progressing or they were just on a loop and they didn't want to change you know and that that and that's okay different strokes for different folks, you know but um you know when I was young like you're you know younger first starting out like of course those there are people that just want to f- sit in your energy and leech off of you in this way of like you know, fill up and then leave and then not do any work. That was something I had to work through personally where I had to remember that I'm not, I can be a guide and I can hold space and I can share information, but I can't be responsible for what you do. Yeah. When the I, reading that's is
0: they That's are vampires, man, energy vampires. I've, I've severed from people like that in my life. I'm sure we all have had them, but you're right to just sit in your presence and bask in, whatever it is you have to give off and then carry on. And they're like a broken record. It's super exhausting and frustrating to deal with people like that. But uh, it's sad too, that people are stuck in sort of that.
2: Well, there are psychic, we used to call them psychic junkies at the, the metaphysical bookstore, because you would have people that would come and they would go, get a reading from every person about the same thing until they heard what they wanted to hear, you wow. know? Um, and it got, it, that was actually like the worst kind of, experiences I've had was like through that but it taught me the most about cold reading people that I didn't know and it helped me like build my relationship to my practice but I definitely once I got out of there I was like "Uh uh-uh you know and also I'm not a believer in the customer is always right like I'm not like I don't cater to that and it's gotten me you know people mad at me or people projecting on me and um you know, and I've not handled things always the best way because I had no mentors and no one was doing this as a business when I started, you know, so I had to learn about my own boundaries and my own unhealthy codependent stuff that I had to learn, like, oh, I'm seeking validation, you know, there was like some unhealthy stuff there that had to really work out. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just been a lot of learning lessons, you know, (laughs) learn the hard way.
0: Yeah, but sometimes that's the only way.
2: <laughs> See, for me, yeah.
1: <laughs> Have you ever had any like intense, because you, you obviously feel what other people are feeling, but does that ever manifest itself in a physical way in you?
2: Yeah, like empathically for sure. I mean, when I, you know, when I, I didn't really understand totally what I was doing or the intensity of how much I was taking on, I would get sick a lot you know, or headaches or like physical, like nausea and like, just not well. Um, Or, I mean, I'm so empathic that if I'm around people who are inebriated, I feel drunk. Wow. Yeah. I'm like, Ooh, I'm like, Oh God, I gotta get out of here. You know, like, so it's, it's, it's interesting. It's like definitely, and I've, you know, it's why I can feel like when people it's, I've, and I can see why it's freaked some people out because there are people that really hide what they're really feeling, but I felt heartbreak. I felt grief physically in the body, you know, as like an ache or a pain or a sadness, and they could be smiling and presenting a completely different way. Wow. And that's interesting. Yeah, I that's guess gonna, you
1: see through shit in all your social circle, then, right? There's, there's makes no, dating no really hard yeah. You, yeah. Yeah, Holy shit! No.
0: I know you meet up. It's with made a
2: dating a like really problematic.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, until you find somebody who is being honest with you. God forbid that you know that's got to be tough. That's got to be tough.
2: It's it's been it's been hard. I mean, I I don't. I, I don't date much, um, you know, my, like, I haven't had many relationships. My last relationship was 24, I don't know, it was several years ago. And, mm-hmm. and uh, even that, like people, like, you know, the, sometimes like I've, you know, dated someone who's, he said he was open, you know, to this stuff, but he really wasn't, <laughs> you know, when you are really in it, you know, it, it's, it, it can be real challenging um, to be, I don't think it's impossible. I will say that. I don't think it's impossible to be in a relationship that is healthy and understands like the intensity of the work that I do and what I also need collaboratively in a partner, you know, cause I also need a lot of decompression time. And like, you know. I was know. gonna
0: say, it's gotta be, you gotta have alone time, right? Or time to just go for a walk and breathe. Like I, I get mm-hmm. exhausted just from talking to people sometimes, you know, and I, I will physically, like we had an intense talk Um, uh, not, was it yesterday, day before? And for a good two or three hours, I couldn't shake off this weird sadness. Like I was on mm-hmm. the verge of tears and I couldn't, I'm like, I'm fine, what the hell? So dealing with that type of energy, I can I only imagine you've got to have time to just not do
2: mm-hmm. anything.
0: And, and I'm sure you probably schedule time to like take a break.
2: Oh, yeah. And- I had to reduce a lot of my hours like this year with COVID and everything. You know, I just like, I had to, I was working, um, like four or five days a week. And I, I reduced to, I'm down to three days a week and I have a maximum of three people a day. And like yeah. people think like, well, you don't work that much. I'm like, do you know what I have to do to like, keep my equilibrium up? Like, like I need a lot of de. also uh, I'm autistic. Like I need a lot of decompression time and like recalibration. Sometimes it's, it's um you know, it's a, it's not that it's needing a lot of, I forget to eat, you know, like when I'm working, I'm like, I'm like barely, I'm, I'm not human when I'm working. So if I'm working for a day, I'm like, I'm an alien. I'm just like, I don't even know, do I need to drink water? Like I have to set things up for me throughout <laughs> the day so I can go, hmm, okay, like I made it through the day, but like, I will forget things, you know, like basic human things when I'm working so that's why I need those times to like catch up and decompress and recalibrate
1: do you have any close friends with the same gifts that you can connect with in that way and you know help each other because I've got a few friends who are therapists and stuff and they all say you know every therapist needs a therapist and you know you need that support network around you of people who understand it do you have that and do you benefit from that
2: I do have, um, a couple of very close dear friends who are healers or practitioners. We don't do the same exact work, but like we're both in this, in a similar space of holding energy and teaching and and providing healing. Um, and I also have a really great therapist that I found only last year. Um, and, and that's also helped me a lot with and, and that was like a feat to find someone who understood uh, what I do for a living and not want to like put me on medication. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause I, you know, that that was like finding someone who understood my work. Um and also my m- multiracial identity and the autism, you know, finding someone who got all of it that's been really helpful and i feel very for- fortunate because i've i've gone through definitely um especially recently you know i've had to let i've 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 had some long-term relationships come to an end because they just the level of how much i'm working and at what intensity and the more people i guess like it's so weird right instagram like all of a sudden i have a big instagram following and people who knew me doing readings on the patio of a bookstore like they want to treat me the same way uh as that person i was like 8 people ago and and a lot of um my relationships have changed because of that mm.
0: Are you, obviously with COVID and everything has changed, but have you done, do you do in person or are you predominantly online now? Like, or is it a mix of the two? And now with the move as well, uh, I'm interested, are you able to do this type of work just via like Zoom or something like this?
2: I prefer Honestly, I prefer distance readings now. I had an office in the arts district in downtown LA, and that was great. And I would periodically teach in-person classes at like there's like a mystery school downtown, and I tr- would travel a lot. I would travel to um, a few different cities that I have a number of students and things, which was wild. But since COVID, everything's gone to online, and I prefer it. <laughs> I love it. Um, I obviously I missed, i really miss traveling to teach because like I would have big, you know, turnouts like in Denver and in new Orleans or like different cities. I would go to Santa Fe, New Mexico, you know? Um, and I do miss teaching in person, but the readings, I don't know. I just, this is so nice to have space and boundaries in this particular way. Cause I can shut the screen and we're done.
0: That's it. Know? Just click leave meeting. <sighs>
2: Yeah. 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 You know, it's like you're so able to op-
0: operate at your highest capacity th- through the Internet and stuff. You can still do what you do.
2: Yeah. I like, tell people like, you know, you could do this Like, because some people get concerned. They're like, can you read the same? I'm like, you know what? If you're focused, then great. If you're surfing the Web and we're trying to do a reading, you're not going to get a good reading. <laughs> like well, get off your really phone.
0: <laughs> I've had people try to do that.
2: Oh, they're like, and I'm like, what are you looking at? They're like, "Uh," you know, or like they've got their phone. I'm like, I I know you're hiding your phone (laughs) under, like. How
1: is that helping you? (laughs) It's like being a teacher, isn't it? Sometimes it must be like getting the class in line. Come on.
2: Totally, totally. And that's the other thing. I'm like, I'm not your mom. Like. You do you know, want to be or like, here
1: or not? Exactly. Right. That, yeah.
2: It's the same thing with when people like demand like a uh, same day. I don't do same day readings and mm. um, I don't do crisis readings. I'm not I going to say
0: it's probably more of the bigger picture of life and transitioning as opposed to like, oh, my God, what I do right now yeah well most
2: of the time the crisis is like you're so in your emotion and like things will resolve themselves or you just need a minute but like i'm so empathic i can't read you when you're having a meltdown all i'm feeling is the meltdown (laughs) like
1: you know what's your experience with animals how closely are we connected to them do you ever feel anything off animals i'm fascinated by that because i I love animals but I haven't had one for so long. And, but whenever I'm around a friend's pet, I just, you know, you s- somehow feel more human and, and connected to something and mm-hmm.
2: alive. Yeah. Well, they're, you know, living, breathing, energetic beings. I love it. I mean, it's, it's interesting. They're, they're, um, they're so individual, just like humans, you know, actually I have a really great animal communicator friend, Michael Lane, who's amazing. And, um, he got me to see animals in this whole other way you know um and in the same way that we learn how to connect you know a lot of times with humans we connect verbally right but like everything is telepathic with them right you know yeah we can have physical engagement with them but honestly you can have the same telepathic kind of relationship with a, a cat that you can with like a wild bird or something you know um and i think that they're really it's it's interesting because like growing up we had like a a family dog but like i never connected i connected more to wild animals and then um i have a i have a lizard now i have a bearded dragon and she is like she's my familiar i'm like the most she's the most connected like animal being that i've ever been you know in relation to and um and they they have their they have their abilities or just they just speak different languages than us.
0: It's fascinating. Yeah, I love my cats. They just know sometimes when to be sweet or when to leave me alone. Or I never mm-hmm. used to be a cat person until I you know met my <laughs> my lovely girlfriend who had two cats has two cats and they're like my little kids now. I love them and it's mm-hmm. it's really it's some, something I can't even put into words. And mm-hmm. there is just something there. They look at me, I look at them. I lock eyes with one of our cats and we don't break eye contact and I get vibes. It's so strange. And I never <laughs> used to be like that. And I just, I adore these animals. They're beautiful creatures. There's something about them. I can't. You
2: should take one of Michael's uh, animal communication classes so you can find out what they're trying to say to you. Oh,
0: I'd love to. That'd be f- <laughs> super fascinating to me. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I dream with, Um, it's funny because she's like staring at me now. She knows I'm talking about her. Um, <laughs> I dream with her a lot you know wow. so that's really wild yeah
0: so now you with your your new digs yeah how are you feel in the past couple of days with your transition are you feeling hopeful positive good or are you still working stuff out
2: I'm, I'm feeling pretty good it's been it's been quite a time I like you know the first day I just laid on the floor and um you know and that was a little bit it was intense I just I'm still adjusting I think um I didn't realize how bombarded i was in la until i was out of it and energetically and emotionally and even just sound you know external oh, yeah. sounds that's
0: huge right that's how it is for me like when i get off this and i press the button it's dead silent mm-hmm. and all i hear yeah. is the wind and that night till i call noise. you for about two seconds afterwards yeah <laughs> and then yeah. And <laughs> that was good
1: wasn't it he's like eh. <laughs> yeah
0: we always touch base after our our calls it's great nice. no but what a huge change for me going from the city to up here in the Catskill mountains. And like, yeah. to me, there is absolute 100% energetic magic here. Uh, mm-hmm. The natives knew it. Anyone who lives, cause I live in Woodstock. So all the Woodstock, oh, people, yeah. we all talk about it and it's right. just, I feel more at home now than I ever did before. Mm-hmm. And even coming into this house, cause I came, you know, pretty much two days after being separated from my ex-wife Mm-hmm. Came up here alone to live. Um, we had okay. signed the lease, but you know, I came up here alone because crazy shit went down. And um, the moment I stepped into this place as my new home, and I did the same thing you did—I laid down on the floor in my mm-hmm. living room and I sobbed for quite a while. Yeah. <laughs> and then this, there was an overwhelming sense of peace and just this almost like a spiritual reassurance of like you—you're in the right place right now. Right. And I dammit. think
2: you also, even if you know you're in the right place, you still have to grieve the whole life and even if you're like excited and know that the change is good you still have to grieve I mean I think that's been a big part of all of this too this whole like year for people is even if we are happy to be like in a new experience we still have to kind of honor what happened and you know um it's weird. You know, I find that even with change and even though I'm excited and even though I'm growing and things are good, there there are these little whispers of old familiar fears that want to kind of come up and, and test me. And, and I think that is kind of relevant to a lot of people right now. And I, I just say that because I feel like it can feel really good to go to what's familiar, but I really want to encourage you to not. like just because it's familiar doesn't
1: to not not go back to the old ways as you say like when Mm -hmm. when this is over and things are open again and stuff's happening again right don't don't just go running straight back as you say to that point of (laughs) oh this is comfortable and familiar to me and i'm going straight back to what i've been missing this whole time
2: right and like i you know it's like oh i know how to operate in that you know it's like doesn't mean you know like it's, it's not necessarily you. the best for you yeah yeah
0: mm-hmm. well, this has been absolutely amazing um i mean we could go on for hours but i feel like the the shift was there it's a nice kind of way to wrap it all up you, mm-hmm. you in place we're talking about life now so i guess any parting words uh of wisdom from you to anybody out there listening um who've been going through a, a rough time. I just, uh, and and people who may not know much about energy work too. Are, are you open to a, taking in new clients? How are you with all that situation? Are you very, obviously very choosy?
2: I'm open to new clients. I mean, I think, you know, as long as I have my books open and I'm taking people, I will take new clients. You know, I I just think it's like, are you ready to take responsibility for yourself? Because that's like a, big key factor in working with me. Mm. You know, um right now I'm booked out until mid June. I have some openings and then I'm probably going to close my books for a little bit while I, you know, get situated and um you know, I I just think it's important for people to get really get really clear about what you want. Because I think that's the biggest hardest thing is we don't there's a lot of people that don't don't, they're they asking for something, but they don't know what they want. And I think it's okay. You can change your mind. It's not like you ask once and you're done. I think, know that you have the personal power to readjust, tweak, do all of the things that feel, you know, but start like going, what do I really want? You know, and, and how am I being my most authentic self whether it's in my work, my purpose, my word, you know, um, and you don't need to have a ton of money to find healing. You know, it, you know, I just think that's important too. Cause some people feel um, negated by that, that like, Oh, I don't have the resources, you know? So I, uh, I, I always like to plug, how I found my therapist, which is through Open Path Collective, which is a online resource. It's mostly in the US, but it basically finds affordable health uh, mental health care for anywhere. It it's a resource to find therapists that provide those services. Oh, so that's great.
0: That's awesome. Yes. Plug away. I love that. I didn't know about that. I'm going to look that up myself. That's really yeah.
2: cool. It's really great because it's like it's it's like you can look for you can click all the boxes of what you're looking for, you know.
1: That's great. If you can send us a link, we'll include it in the episode, and then people can easily find it. Don't you for have sure. a book? Don't you have a book as well, Marcella Priestess? Um,
2: yes, I have. A, I have my illustrated grimoire called Priestess, and that came out in 2019. The first edition. The second edition is actually being released April 12th um, by my publisher. They're called Not Occult Media. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's great. Perfect timing, then. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's really exciting. It's the second edition for that is coming out. So,
0: well, we'll link that in the episode description as well. Marcella, it's been a pleasure. uh, My longtime friend, absolute pleasure to hear that you're doing well and uh, fascinating stuff for sure. Um, It's so good
2: to see you. You're so amazing. I'm like, I'm just like, i don't know it's to see you so it's like we grew up and and you're doing the thing you know you're doing the thing that you wanted to do it's
0: kind of crazy and then with this new venture it's a whole other extension of like the the thing that drove me to even want to scream and yell in a punk band and talk about how shit's fucked up in the world it's just (laughs) yeah i i'm fortunate to be alive too because i had some crazy um mishaps in my life but Yeah, how cool is it to be here years later? And I just reconnected with Sage uh, Sage Francis, who- Oh, no way. Yeah, and we were talking about AS220, which is where you used to live and did a residency. So AS220, the art collective that Sage, in the episode that just aired, actually, uh, he was, no, it's going to air. uh, No, it will be airing the week before
1: this. It's out there. That's right. So it's out there. Ah. So the Sage
0: episode (laughs) before this one, uh, when he's talking about packing out AS220, it's where Marcella lived. So that artistic collective that- These are people in my life that I am honored to still be in touch with. And the talk with Sage was wonderful and this was also wonderful. So it's super cool to see friends thriving, doing well and in a good state of mind and pushing forward. And we made it.
2: (laughs) We did. I can't believe it. We we are still here. (laughs) I love it. Thank you so much. Nice to meet you.
1: Lovely to meet you. It's been an absolute pleasure. And if I'm ever in LA, I'll look you up and we'll hang out.
2: All right. Sounds like a plan. in In the new world. Yes, well,
0: we have to have her around the fire when we do an actual. Fu- so, so the future is having. An tell, actual tell people fire. about the idea that we had about getting oh, yeah. in the car. Oh yeah, so th- hopefully, because <laughs> um, we're inspired by you know the Joe Strummer from the Clash is kind of the inspiration behind this because he used to have these around the campfire talks. Mm-hmm. And another guy that inspires us is Anthony Bourdain, a, you know, punk rocker who went and traveled mm-hmm. the world. And so our idea is with this, and it was from the jump when we started this taking it on the road and traveling to different cities and actually having a fire sitting around a fire and doing this type of thing live around a fire so we were talking about going so i think new orleans needs to be on that that map but you know california so eventually that we're going to do a a little bit of a road tour and take this on the road and sit with people in their space and have these fires and just take it to that other level that initially we even wanted to do with this podcast so yeah that's so awesome we could do a whole mm-hmm. California collective thing. We'll figure it yeah. out there. Great.
2: Sounds awesome. good. Do you All know
0: right. Chloe Trujillo, Marcella? Are you
1: two friends? I
2: do. I love Chloe. She's a good pal of mine.
1: Yeah. Tell her Matt mm-hmm. Stock says, hello. Tell her you spoke to me today. She'll love it.
2: I will. I will. I love she's Chloe. She's awesome.
1: Yeah, she's yes. a, she's an amazing human being.
2: She is. Talented. So gifted, too. Awesome. All, All right. Thank you so much.
0: I'm going to go. Okay.
2: Bye. Thank you, Marcella.
0: That was brilliant. Thanks.